you've already heard it all. But now you resonate. The world has pushed you out of what you thought you knew, your comfort zone, and into this strange place, this slightly off reality. Welcome to the Truth Serum Podcast, hosted by the controversial and funny Dom Bates, author, mother, human, and all-round thought leader. The time has come to realign your essence with your experience. We all know this world is changing. You're here now because you've personally felt it, and your reality has reflected the Truth Serum Podcast, getting to the root of what really is. And now, Dawn Bates. gentlemen and welcome to another episode of the truth serum with me your host dawn bates and today with me i have a dog in the corner actually because normally i say welcome ladies and gentlemen cats on the armchairs and dogs in the corner i have a dog on the armchair and in the corner today so she's sleeping so let's just leave it out they say let sleeping dogs lie so um i have with me today very beautiful woman a fellow mermaid um, her name is Alison Stillman. She is, and there's so much that we're going to dive into today, um, everything from alchemy to transformation, anointing, like anointing. I'm so excited to learn more about that. Consecration um, and awakening the divinity and anchoring the frequency of love in your body. Who doesn't want a bit of juiciness in that? So today I have Alison Stillman. Welcome to the show, Alison. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Don. I'm really happy to be here and to be sharing in this high vibe conversation with you. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so glad you said yes. It is invitation only. So, <laughs> so come on then. Aromatherapy alchemist is what we I know you as, other than obviously Alison um, and fellow mermaid. Tell us a bit about this whole, because let me share with you, aromatherapy for me, um, it first began with, oh, like aromatherapy oils, they smell nice, put those in my bath, or I'll put those in the steamer, not well, steamer, a diffuser, um, or like, you know, when you've got a cold, you get your orange or your eucalyptus, and then you put it on your hot water, put a towel over your head, and that's kind of where I think most people start with aromatherapy. Yes, you're an alchemist and you anoint people. So yes. come on, tell us how we get from the, the introduction to where Alison is now. So it's, it's, where do I even start? <laughs> I think there's I, a woodland walk in it somewhere. <laughs> I was born into this, I will say. I grew up with a grandmother who was a horticulturalist and I was always fascinated with smells and when I was 18 years old, I had a very big experience in a redwood forest in Northern California, where 
I was walking through the forest and I was led by this beautiful smell, this fragrant floral smell. And I was like, well, I'm in a redwood forest. What could that possibly be? And I allowed my nose to follow the fragrance. And I came upon a six foot tall rhododendron, wild rhododendron in full bloom with pink blossoms all over it. And I was like, oh my gosh, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of this big forest, here's this beautiful and I walked right up to it and I put my whole face into it and closed my eyes and I took big inhales and all of a sudden I could see color with my eyes closed and I could hear sound. I could hear like this melodious tune coming through and I could feel this softness on my skin and it awakened this insatiable desire to learn everything about fragrance in the limbic system and how aroma works. And so it set me on a quest and I started studying with all the world's leading aromatherapists and distillers and growers. Okay, so let, let, let's just backtrack here. How did you get in touch with those people? Because people, this is the thing, people say to me, how do you know all these people, Dawn? How, how do you get connected with these people? So how do you go from this redwood forest as a young girl to working with world leaders? So I started doing research and I started buying books. Uh, I think my first book was with a woman by the name of Jeannie Rose, who wrote a book called Herbs and Things. And from there, that led me to meeting her, that led me to a distiller, that led me to a workshop, and that led me to Valerie Warwood, who's a doctor out of England and worked with the World Health Organization. And, magical. Yes, and it's just, <laughs> and, I, and I really believe, honestly, because I have very strong recollections and memories of this, I have done this for lifetimes. Hmm. And and it was a remembrance. It wasn't so much, I'm, oh, this is cool. I'm going to learn all about it. I was remembering. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Going home to who you are. I've always been. Yes. Yes. And And you were probably burned and buried and drowned. That's probably why we both love the ocean so much because we spent so much time there. (laughs) Absolutely. It's funny when I wrote my book, The Sacred Art of Anointing, I wrote it and it took me 10 years to publish it. And I kept editing it and going, oh, it needs this. It needs that. And I had a publisher and they were like, come on, come on. We want this book. And, and I had a session with an incredible light worker. And the first thing she said to me, she didn't know anything about me. She said, oh, you have a book. It wants to be birthed. You have to let go of this. It's a baby that wants to go out into the world. You have no control over where it's going to end up. She said, but you have been killed 27 times for trying to bring this wisdom back into the world again, because we lost aromatherapy for a thousand years during the Inquisition. Mm -hmm. Three to seven million women were burned at the stake for using oils, for using herbs, for being healers. So we now is one of the largest billion dollar industries in the world. Correct. Multi-billion dollar industry, because It's working with these plant essences that have worked with us for, in recorded history, 10 to 18,000 years, we've been working with plant essences. And so they're the basis of all medicine (laughs) and all healing. And so why not go to the source? I always say, Mm. why not go to the source? Absolutely. Always go to source. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Just take a moment. so mm, just getting really going back to source anointing 
Take us on a journey of anointing. What I mean, what for those that don't know what anointing is, what is anointing? So I will share that with you, but before I do, there's one point <laughs> that I, I just have to say because it's coming in to say this that after I had that session with the woman and I cleared, and as she would describe the times that I had been burned, I would go back and I would see the, the time seven times. I just and and after that session, six months later, my book was on Amazon. Good. So obviously we have soul remembrance of lifetimes yeah, and that's back to what I was saying that my soul led me to this path that I was destined to bring this information back. So anointing came in, I was studying with Dr. Valerie Ann Warwood, who's writ written many, many books. And I, it was my very first time, this was probably 30 plus years ago was my very first time to smell pure Omani frankincense, which is very difficult to find anymore. It's on the endangered species list. And in the midst of a class of about 50 people, I had an out-of-body experience. I don't know how to say it, or a past life remembrance where I was at the foot of the cross with all of the disciples watching Jesus be crucified. And I was in the experience for a very long time, can recall every single detail about it. And by the time I came back into awareness, being in this room with other people, all the people that were seated around me were all focused on me. So obviously I've been there for a while. Is she still alive? What's going on? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and one woman had her hand on my arm. And when I came back into presence, she said, oh, are you okay? And the very first words out of my mouth were, oh, I want to do anointing work. And she said, what is that? And I said, I don't know. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> So I bought some frankincense from Valerie and I started using it in my meditations. Now, frankincense is a psychoactive essential oil, which means it induces visionary states and awareness, which is why it's been used in the Catholic church and Greek Orthodox church for 2000 years and why it was brought to baby Jesus by the wise men. And I started using it, putting my, the oil on my third eye and smelling it before I'd go into mm. meditation. And for the next six to eight months, I was taken back to the temple of Dendara, which was the home of the priestess. And I was shown this work and I was shown how they grew oils, how they made oils, how people would come for rites of passage, initiations into the temple marriage ceremonies, ordination and coronation ceremonies, and last rites. And that's a lot of the sacraments were based on these ancient rituals of anointing that they would do. Mm. And they would go through vows of silence and fasting before they would be anointed by the priestesses. And so after having this experience and seeing all the details of it, I started putting all my loved ones on the table and watched miracles happen. <laughs> and so I started doing the practice of it, became a minister and have done last rites and births and weddings wow. and, and all kinds of ceremonies with essential oils and anointing. And the very definition of the word anointing means to take a sacred oil or blessed water and to rub it on someone or something in an act of consecration. And when you consecrate something or someone, you are making and declaring that someone or yourself, if you anoint yourself every day, sacred and divine. Oh, wow. Do, do, can you not just put 
the oil in a bath and get in the bath and anoint yourself that way or you know I mean what I mean I'm being facetious here but this is what a lot of people are going to like well I just I can just draw a line on myself is that how we do it do I just go off and get some lavender or some you know rose water and on the day of Venus which is we know is a Friday it's a very good day for us to embody the essence of Venus you know we get in the rose bath with our rose bath water and the petals and drink rose tea and people will be thinking I can just go get some rose and put you know put my rose quartz in my water drink that and it's you know it's for long venus day because there are going to be a lot of people i mean i get this i absolutely love the work that you do um i i don't get to have a lot of aromatherapy like good aromatherapy oils as i travel around the world and it is something that i really do miss um but there are going to be possibly people that listen to this that go anointing essential oils like does it really work so does it I would really say if it didn't really work, we wouldn't have been doing it for 10,000 years. We wouldn't have had the three wise men bring frankincense and myrrh and gold to <laughs> baby Jesus. We wouldn't have had the frankincense trade routes and frankincense yeah. wouldn't have been traded for more. It was more expensive than gold. There's mm. a reason for that. Absolutely. Right? So, and the pharmaceutical companies wouldn't be wanting to use it to uh, synthesize it so that they can make more money out of it. Correct. Absolutely correct. Yes. Yes. So for all of those out there that are like, you know, let's just yes. go down the pharmaceutical route and then bring it forward. Because like you said, you know, I mean, you, you've had 27 lifetimes and it is, it is something that we remember. Um, I mean, I remember being interviewed myself and someone goes, but why are you, why are you so involved with human rights? I'm like, I've been involved in human rights throughout all of my lifetimes, all of them. I remember being on a ship sailing across the Atlantic from, um, from Holland to uh, an island, and I didn't know which island it was. And then I heard the word Nassau, and that was it. I had, uh, oh, just happened again. Yeah. Hang on a second. Like, and I signed a treaty to free slaves. Like that was, and you know, and then I know that I've been a suffragette and I remember going through and, you know, and then there was this like a time when I was in this castle surrounded by deserts um, and people were coming to me for this advice. And I was like, we can't have this. We have to, we have to stop this um, elitism within uh, dividing us from the people who are here working our lands and, you know, and all of these memories. And I remember as I was coming out of the, um, one of the um, the past life regression saying to my coach, if we have been able to create this much impact in past lives and at times where there's no technology, where we haven't got as much wisdom, if we can call what we've got today wisdom, because I believe we've forgotten a lot of it, um, uh, then how, why is it that women are not at a level where they could be and have been and why is it we are in this space uh, you know we've all got work to do we've got to pull our socks up we achieved a lot more in past lives and we had less resources and she was like you're right I, I got so on one but that's the thing when you remember your purpose and you remember why you are here it is a remembrance and I mean ah oh, just Absolutely. I totally agree with you 100%. I can fast right now. And I want to just say something too. You know, 
thousands of years ago, we were a matriarchal society. We were in touch with the earth and all of her essences and her, all of her creatures. And we lived at one with the earth. And it wasn't really until the patriarchal swung so far into power through the Christian revolution that we lost power as women. And what I see now playing out in the world is that there is a last vestige of the negative aspects of the patriarchy playing itself out because they know it's over. It, we will not survive as a species if we don't come into collective unity with love and compassion being the ruler of the day, not greed and capitalism and violence and domination and control, which has been in, in power for 2000 years. And mm -hmm. so that's why we're seeing what's happening right now. It's, it's crumbling. It's dissolving. And we are entering into the age of Aquarius. We are entering into the Satya Yuga, which is a golden age coming out of the Kali Yuga. We are coming into a beautiful golden age. I don't know how long it's going to take for us to really move into that fully, but I do know it's going to be led by love. It's going to be led by compassion and unity. And so anything less than that is going to crumble. Mm, absolutely. So this is why you're like with this work that you're doing and bringing the frequency of love into the body. I remember that you and I had a conversation a, a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about how we've been giving and giving and giving. And um, because I was coming up to my birthday and um, I always choose a word for my from my birthday to my next birthday. I've had words like dance. I have had words like freedom and abundance and purpose and commitment um and so this year I chose receive um because we were talking about how we want we need to restore the balance because if we're always giving but we're not allowing ourselves to receive and I think this comes from the patriarchy that fact that we've been taught that we are not supposed to receive we are the ones that are supposed to give we are the ones that are just supposed to run ourselves ragged into the ground um, and just give to everybody sacrificing ourselves, the sacrificial lamb, the women that are sacrificed for knowing too much, for doing too much. And it's like, you know what? Time out. It's game over. Like you were saying now, I want to pick up on something because you said that it's for the last 2000 years. Um, and so for those people that would say uh, would be anti-Christian or that don't believe in uh, religion or anti-religion, wouldn't you, would you, if someone was to say, um, oh, well, you know, this has all happened since the birth of, you know, and since Christianity came, you know, like Jesus Christ was around about that time and, you know, patriarchy came in. So that's why we need to get rid of religion and Christianity. What would you say to them? I don't think it's an all or nothing thing. I grew up in the South of the United States and um, my dad was Catholic. My mom was Mormon and they didn't have a clue what to do with us kids. And so from six to 12, they took us to every church on the corner and <laughs> said, you guys get to choose what and you've you got a lot be. of churches in America. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially in the South. Just saying. <laughs> I think you've got more. I think you've got more churches in America than the British who've got corner shops. <laughs> yeah. And I would listen to the teachings. And while I love the sense of community and faith that they bring in, the fact that women couldn't be priests, 
that Native Americans couldn't go to the church, that there was all this separation and dogma. I said, no, that's not how it is. And I would go out into the woods as a kid and I'd spend my days in the woods and I'd go, this is how it is. And so I never became anything. And then when I was 14, I started studying Hinduism and uh, got into yoga and meditation. And then I got into Buddhism. And then I found out I was Native American and got into all the Native American practices. And so I have studied a lot of different traditions. And I think that they all bring value into what you need. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a big proponent of saying, oh, let's get rid of them all. Let's get rid of the negative aspects and the dogma that keep people Mm. playing small within themselves. Because I think that's really, really much more how we can empower um, everyone. Mm. I I was very drawn to Taoism, you know, the elements of Taoism. And I was like, oh, you know, like the earth, wind, the, uh, the fire and the air. And my mom's like, you just live in your own little world. I'm like, I'm, I love it there though, mum. And she was like, yeah, I can tell. You know, and this is the thing, I think when, um, I don't think I know that when we actually just choose ourselves. Um, and I mean, I recently, I went down this path um, and I think I shared this with, um, because for those of you who uh, know that I am uh, an executive contributor and ed- editor for the House of Preeminence and Alison is also with us in the house of preeminence which you know you have two preeminent ladies here but I was um, I think we were discussing it on uh, posse power on our regular Wednesday slots um, that when we really truly step into who we are and we forget about other people and um, I don't know whether it was house of preeminence I wrote this article for but there's sometimes that you you're going along this path and, you know, things are happening and you're being interviewed here and being asked to be a guest speaker here and you're asked to do this here. And, you know, you kind of, you, you're on that treadmill and all of a sudden you go, hang on, stop. This is not who I am. This is not where I'm meant to be going. I, I need a timeout. I need to have a reset here. Um, and I remember sure about I don't know, two, three weeks after um, I had that, I need to stop. This is not where I need to be. I I'm doing what other people want me to do. I'm appearing on places where my marketing team want me to go and like, they're doing this and hang on. I need to like, and then three weeks later, um, uh, I went, I I was looking for a new place to stay. uh, And I kept scrolling past this place that said Hospitage de Magica in uh, Santa Helena here in uh, Colombia, just outside of Medellin. Um, I didn't want to go to Medellin. I know that that's where Pablo Escobar and I know that's where all the, the you know, everyone that comes to Colombia, oh, let's go to Pablo Escobar. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of more interested in Gabriela Motet. You know, that hundred night, uh, hundred, I can't remember the title of his book, so hundred nights of the soul or solitude. something. Yeah, solitude. Yeah, hundred nights of solitude. <laughs> um, and um, uh, solo because of when it's written in Spanish, okay. But and I was like, I, you know, I don't want to go into the city. I don't want to do in the city. Uh, and I kept scrolling and I go back to this, um, this hospitality de Magica. And I was like, okay, it's come up. Like I've gone back to it now three times. Okay, I'm just going to book there. A week into there, this shaman guy turns up, this indigenous shaman. And because um, I'd asked Catalina, the lady who owns it, who actually healed herself from cancer um, by working with plants, going organic, going vegan, completely healed herself from cancer. And I, the doctors were like, well, I don't know what you've done, um, but it's gone. Your cancer has gone. Um, 
That's no how powerful to. we are. That's how powerful <laughs> as witches, we're really quite powerful. And but again, it's like we had essential oils there. We were working with the herbs. I had the biggest kick up the backside working with this plant medicine. Um, I didn't ingest any of it. None of it was ingested. It was just there. And um, we put it on the fire and like it was wrapped around candles. And there was these oils that were put on and like there was some cacao being burnt on the fire. Um, there was some, um, the, the power of organic tobacco leaves in organic farming is tremendous. And I, 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 I was like, really? Uh, like, and one of the things that I learned with my own study is one of the reasons why they started because the um, tobacco companies realized how strong it was in healing. Um, one of the ways in which it came to being smoked was because of a lost translation of how the, when you burn the tobacco leaves, it's really healing. And they kind of use that in a manipulative way of actually getting you to smoke these cigarettes, which cause you cancer. No, we don't use it that way. And just learning all of this while I've been here in Colombia um, and this awakening I had, I burnt my business to the ground. I've, and I feel so much more in tune with who I am after working with those plants and with the cacao and uh, being at that Hospitage de Magica. And I remember going for this plant bath um, oh my god it was so cold Wim Hof can keep his ice cold water as far as I'm concerned that's not my that my my thing but we had like all of these rhododendrons we had like rosemary we had um, some lavender there were some other plants there that I can't even pronounce like really ancient plants um, and we had to put them in this water from the river um, which is like a sacred river which runs along the ley lines um, and that's why we had to go to this particular river I had no idea I was going there. I just trusted. Like I said, I kept scrolling back and I just trusted that whatever happened was the right thing to happen. And when we're there and the fire is going, all of the wolves in the mountains, um, they just started howling. The moment the first flicker of fire, and it, oh my gosh, I, I remember I stood there and I was just crying. I was like, oh my God, what's happening? Like, this is so beautiful. And the, the tears. And I just had this overwhelming sensation of love and forgiveness to myself and, forgive, and just letting go. I, it was like, my, my coach calls it a Kundalini awakening and an exorcism all in one. Um, I mean, you're working with people and you're facilitating this kind of change within them and this transformation rather than change. Like you must see some really beautiful results. I mean, what, what is it like for you to hold space and work with people in that space? It's, it, it's really miraculous. It's magical. It's miraculous. It's, I, I, I never get tired of watching people come into their power and the awareness of who they really are. And you spoke to something a couple of times that I just want to pick up on because I think it's really, really a valuable thing that I've learned and many of my clients have learned over the years. And that is we are all propelled by the same energetic what in quantum physics and quantum science what Stephen Hawking called or labeled the living mind of God it's an electromagnetic frequency it looks like a grid of light it exists everywhere 
in everything, all powerful, all knowing, which means that every one of us is connected to each other. We are connected to all of the plants. We are connected to all of the animals, which you were just talking about in that experience. And the thing that Mm -hmm. I love, I I think why I was so drawn to be in nature so much when I was little, and even now that's my favorite place, is that that's where I find myself. That essence, that electromagnetic frequency, the, the one of the adages from the Bible, God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, really is true. It is all powerful, all knowing and present in all things. And so for me, to have an awareness of that is really what it's about to becoming enlightened. It's not It's not that we are changing or turning into something else. It's we're awakening to the truth of who we are. We are all divine essence Mm. in human form, having a human experience. And so what I have found from, from doing this for so many years and working with oils is they are the most powerful tool I have ever found to awaken divinity in people. And by that, I mean discovering and remembering the true essence of who you are. We need powerful practices and we need coaches and we need to keep doing practices that keep us in a remembrance of who Mm. we are. Oh, you know, I just love when you did, because talking about practices and remembering who we are, one of the processes I take my authors through, it's like, I want you to remember why you're here. Why are you writing this book? This isn't just, I'm just going to have to say, like, for those of you, like, I don't, who are listening to this, where we're, they're preparing for uh, an event and there's a guy here, he's just making a lot of noise in the background. So if you can hear it, please forgive the noise. I have adjusted the sound settings. I've asked people not to make noise around us. So, um, I, but I it's Christmas it's- here. And all the people want to just listen to this conversation because it's so important. So they're pulling up chairs to sit down and listen. I know, right. Uh, so one say, por favor, por favor. Hola, hola. Es de, de hombre, es de silencio, por favor. Okay. Sí, gracias. <laughs> I'm going to receive some silence. <laughs> Perfect. And there's something else I want to hit on too, because I think this is a really important thing because mm. I know I go through it and have gone through it. About eight, nine years ago, I had an experience. So I'm an Aries, double Aries, lots of fire. You know, I've always been, oh, I can do it myself. I'm a natural born leader. I I can get it done. I don't need any help. That whole thing, push, make it happen, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And eight or nine years ago, I started injuring the left side of my body. I broke my big toe. I fractured my shin Mm -hmm. and I was laid up and I, and I, went deep into meditation. I said, why is this happening? What is happening here? And the message I got was your masculine side. And so I'm, I'm speaking as an individual, but this is what we're witnessing in the collective right now. Your masculine side has been in control and pushing and making things happen. It's not about that anymore. It's about allowing that masculine strength and power to move to the back, to hold his support so that that divine feminine Mm -hmm. in her loving, compassionate way can allow things because we're the ones who really have been more emotional and intuitive. We can allow the energies to move through us 
and come to us instead of having to make things happen and push and the competitive and all the rest of that. So then there's this amazing, beautiful marriage of the masculine and feminine that we can do inside that support each other and allow the next phase of evolution to occur within ourselves, but also in humanity and mm. in the collective. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and this is, I think, that um, going back to the writing, people ask me, how do you write so much? I'm like, I just allow it to come through me. I don't, I never, when I'm writing an article or I'm writing a book, I never think about what I need to write because I just allow it to channel through me. I allow it to flow through me. Um, and like when all these visions come in, and this is what I, when I'm working with them, I'm like, just write, just stop thinking about it. And remember like why you wanted to write, because everyone says, oh, I've got a book in me. Oh, I need to write this book. I, I really want it. And it's like, okay, then write it. Not think about it. Don't think about the title. Don't think about it because the title can trap you, you know, and getting it out. Even, it, I mean, I've written a manuscript and I deleted 30,000 words, boom, gone. And like, my, like Linda was like, did you save any? I went, eh, no. <laughs> I mean, there was some great stuff in there. When I deleted social media, I had thousands of short stories on my Facebook. I did a, a short story group. I had amazing articles on there. Um, I've got people who are in my life on there who I adore. And I was like, we will find each other again. If we are meant to be together, we will find each other again. If our time has come to an end, it has come to an end. Those that want to be in my space and those who I'm meant to be in their space we will find each other and we have to trust that. And that's, I think, when we're going through that writing process or that remembrance process or transformation process, whichever way we're doing it. I mean, I use uh, writing, you use oils. It is just, just allow, just, just be. And when we're journaling, for me, it's like I'm cleansing. Uh, I mean, I had a conversation with Adam when, on one of my earlier shows because he doesn't journal. Um, and I'm like, I mean, I'm journaling every day. I do my gratitude flood every single night. Um, and even if I'm like only write like two lines, I'm really grateful for today. I'm really tired, but I'm just really grateful. Thank you so much. I'm going to sleep now. And that's what one of my really tired gratitude journals will probably look like. And then the next day it'll be pages and pages of everything I'm grateful for. Um, and, you know, but when you're writing, you're getting stuff out. And I think that a lot of the top stuff it's just the distractions. Yeah. And so, getting, so you're skimming the top. I have a couple of things I want to share about that because they're really fun. So one, when I'm doing the anointing work, which I haven't done for the last couple of years because of the situation we find mm. ourselves in as a, as a species, but I do online coaching. And in that coaching, I, I just step aside and I let the divine source, God, whatever you got us, whatever you want to call it, speak. And it's so funny because clients always come back to me and they go, well, remember you said this and you told me this. And I go, I no, don't, I because do it's not my intellectual mind that's <laughs> doing it, you know? And I do the exact same thing because I do write a lot as well. In fact, I, I had a year long mentoring program this last year. And when we all started out, I've had a book inside of me for the last five years and I've known, I know the title, I know the subject, I know, I, I know exactly what it's going to be about. And I had stated to this group, here's my intention. I'm going to have written a book by the end of the year. 
And when I just moved homes in the middle of summer, and when I was moving, I had a box that I hadn't unpacked for, for five years, five and a half years. And they were photos, photos that of my mom. She had passed away five years ago. And I just, I kept moving them and didn't look at them. And so I said, I am not moving them again. I'm going to open them up. So I open the box up. I go through all the, the photos. I make albums for my siblings and for myself. And I get to the bottom. There is a box of copy paper in the bottom of the box. And I go, oh, wow, great copy paper. I'll pull that out. And I open it up. It's a 250 page book that I wrote that I have absolutely no idea when or where I wrote it. <laughs> Gotta love those moments. <laughs> it's already written. And I think it's kind of a cool thing because there is a lot of alchemy and magic that we're capable of doing. The thought that I was going to create and write a book, it doesn't have to happen the way we think it, it does. It doesn't have to be this big push and manual effort and work. It can just come through us yeah. in magical ways. Now, I mean, who writes a book? It's 250 pages long. And I read four pages and I'm like, wow, this is really good. <laughs> <laughs> but who does that and doesn't remember where or when they even wrote it, right? And I can tell you stories from when I was four years old, 10 years yeah. old, the Redwood <laughs> Forest at 18. I remember all the details. It's not like I don't have a good memory. <laughs> you have a matriarchal memory, right? <laughs> so to touch on the matriarchal, because I was discussing with someone uh, recently and we were discussing about the patriarchal and the matriarchal and what they were like, but it's just two sides of the same coin. We need to get rid of the coin and bring in a new one. We need to bring like, 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 so do you think that we actually need to bring matriarch back or do you believe it's a completely new system that we're bringing in? It is a completely new system and it won't be the same as the matriarchal society that we lived in thousands of years ago, <clears throat> because obviously it wasn't the highest level of that mm -hmm. society because it crumbled, right? Yeah. So I think it, it feels like to me, what I have seen in my vision is this, that the matriarchal was far over to the left and then we swung way over to the right and we're going to find a balance point mm. in the middle that again, like that experience I had where I was marrying my masculine and allowing the masculine to support the feminine to really rise to the surface now as the intuitive, loving and compassionate self that is in tune with her intuition and connected to source and, and all the universal forces that want to help us manifest and create in our lives. And the masculine's holding that pole of strength, but we're, we're, we're doing it in a balanced fashion within ourselves. We're marrying that within ourselves so that it can manifest in the outside world. Mm. Because I think this is the thing, we, we're in the outside world, what we've seen manifest through the patriarchal is a destruction of our planet. Um, and I wanted to bring you forward to, like you mentioned earlier, that the um, Armani frankincense is on the endangered species list. Um, and you're very much into your um, environmental political work as well. So we're yes. talking about, you know, anointing and essential oils and witching and you know, and everything might be like fluffy woo-woo, but then there's another side of Alison that you're working on some in really incredibly powerful um, environmental uh, projects at the moment. Um, are you able to share something about those or is it 
I'd love to, and you're going to relate to this a lot. So, (laughs) but I I do think it's so because it's not surprising that you're working on something to do with the environment and protecting it. For me, it's just logical. Yeah. Yeah. So again, when I was 18, (laughs) I lived in Northern California at the time and it was uh, the end of the Vietnamese war. And a lot of the Vietnamese came over to the Bay area and resettled and they were really big into gillnet fishing, which means they would spread these giant nets a mile Mm. long, five miles long, and they would just harvest. And that's how they would get their fish. And I was living on the coast in Northern California and we started finding all these dead birds and the Audubon society came up and seals and turtles and all kinds of marine life. And it was a horrific massacre. And I was walking along the beach one day and I came across a baby dolphin that still had the folds from being in its mother mother's womb. And it was still alive. So you can talk this without crying, but I know I'm just, I, I found this baby dolphin and I kept it alive and I called the Marine Mammal Rescue Center and they came out and the dolphin lived, thankfully. And I called every single news station and I said, you've got to come out here and see what's happening. And then I went to Sacramento and I lobby and I got a gillnet ban passed so that they couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> And that started, we have so much in common. We have like, <laughs> and that started uh, my adv- advocacy for the environment. And then I started um, protesting uh, nuclear power plants and went laid down in front of nuclear submarine plants and went to Washington and lobbied and thought, Oh, I'm going to become a politician. And then I saw how crooked they all were. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep advocating. And then I worked with the president of the Sierra club for about 10 years. And I joined the Sierra club and that was, I was like 24, 25. And then the natural resources defense council came into my view. They started in 1970 and the nature conservancy and joined those organizations. And I realized that protesting wasn't the way to get things done. It was to get a collective group of activists together and get things done. And, and so now I'm legacy members with, the Nature Conservancy and the Natural Resources Defense Council. And why I create wealth in my life is to donate to them, to give bigger and bigger checks because they're the ones that get things done. They have legal organizations and they take administrations and and big mining companies to court and they win. And to that measure, then in 2019, I trained with Al Gore Um, for his climate reality. And when I did that, I realized that the greatest crisis facing the human and in the environment for all of us is climate crisis. And so I've been the chapter chair of Nashville and co-sponsor of the Tennessee Climate Reality Project. And just this year, we uh, had a huge coup and I'm, and, and I want to share this because I think it's really important. You know, sometimes we look at this and we go, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. And we, there was a, um, there's an aquifer in Memphis. It's the most pristine aquifer in North America. And 
there was uh, two oil companies, Valero and BP, Plains All-American, that wanted to run a pipeline across this aquifer. And so we got grassroots activists together and we had Memphis uh, community protecting the aquifer. We had the Sierra Club. I called the Natural Resources Defense Council. We got Al Gore involved. We got a bunch of celebrities and dignitaries involved. And we started showing up at these virtual hearings with their lawyers. And we would have 45, 50 people on these hearings, and it would take an hour and a half just to introduce everybody. And we beat these billion-dollar oil companies and, and defeated their efforts to put oil gas pipelines across this pristine aquifer. And I say that to say that this is our only earth. We don't have a plan B. And no. So as I have witnessed so many of the plants that I love go on the endangered species list, the list grows so exponentially every single year. Mm. This is the thing that is the most urgent. We won't have any of these if we all don't take action. And with all of us taking action, we will turn it around. And this planet, mm. this species, well, the planet's going to survive. Whether we do or not, that's the question. It's going to kick us out. And that's yeah. true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll so, die yeah. the planet will. Um, and and it, it, like you say, it's something that we both are very passionate about, the activism. Um, and there's, I mean, I was just dying. I mean, I've dived in like the coral reef out in Australia. I've dived out in Brazil. So that's the first and the second largest coral reef in the world. Um, and then you've got the apparently the third largest here in Colombia. From what I've seen and when I was diving, I mean, I had to remember not to cry while I'm, you know, and we're only 18 meters deep at that point. We're going a little bit deeper and. When people are killing these animals and um, they're killing the plants and the amount of kelp varieties that are now like that, we're, we're losing them. And these kelp forests and these corals, they are some of our natural defenses. Um, and people, they, they, and we, on one of the recent dives we had, we, um, Marcus and I came up to the surface and we were like, okay, how much, you know, like we need to go back down. We like that, like we just, there's so much rubbish. Um, and there's a chap here, Manny um, Delahos, who has a, um, a dive company and he's also creating a legacy to actually teach people to clean up the ocean. And he's like got, takes people out on dives. He's actually bought, been had two boats donated to him where um, people are so passionate about this, where he's training people to dive so that they can go underneath the water with these mesh. He goes, because the sooner that they get to dive um, and see what's actually happening under the water, can we really start to make a difference? Um, and, you know, when we saw the documentary recently, Sea Spiracy come out. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like people were saying to me, like, oh my God, have you seen that? I'm like, how did you not know what this was going on? Right. Like, I was not surprised, but I, I've known, and there's another documentary that Woody Harrelson made recently, Kiss the Soil. I'm yeah. like, this is 11 year old, mm -hmm. Kiss the Ground. Like, this is mm -hmm. 11 year old science. 
why are we needing to educate adults about this and then and like I said when we just did our process it depends on how long we've been awake and how much attention we pay and how much we want to love our planet and when it's how much we love humanity and how much we love animals you know we all these people they say oh they love the ocean I mean I've got a book coming out the mermaid's guide to sailing I'm probably going to lose a lot of sailing friends because for me, what I'm seeing, and this was when I was living on Wahiki Island in New Zealand, at the start of my global um, circumnavigation, they were one of the yacht clubs that I was really good friends with. <laughs> and then I was like, no, you can't do this, because they were wanting to build a, a new marina on Wahiki Island. They can't do that. The ecosystem there, I mean, like not even just for the infrastructure on the island when it came to roads, um, damaging the trees and all the building, but the amount of toxins that sailors use on their boats and on their, and the people use on their bodies, like the suntan creams, the shampoos and conditioners, all of these expensive products and all the cleaning chemicals on their boat and, you know, like cleaning out the bilge, not a nice job, but needs to be done. Um, disgusting job um but then when you're washing down your boat all of that is going into the ocean and it's going into these marinas which is killing off all of this plant life and all of these animals and you know and I'm just like why like and I sometimes I'm at such a loss for words and I was like how can you say you love the ocean and you don't even clean the bottom of your boat you know and you don't and you're putting all this toxic stuff in the ocean. It's just sailing across them or you're sailing up the coast. There are not that many ocean goers. So you're sailing up the coast and you're damaging all of this. And, and one of the things I had a huge heated debate with uh, when I was on the Oyster Rally, um, because I would sit on the boat and I would cut up the plastic um, of the, and I would say, like, make sure you get the big bottles of water, not these individual bottles, like a bigger bottle of water. Even though we had a water maker, we also still had to make sure we had like bottles of water. Um, and I was like, well, why can't we just have glass bottles? But again, I'm not captain and I have to do as I'm told on a boat, but I can still voice something every now and then. Um, and I'd be sat there and I'd be cutting up all of the plastic with the scissors and putting them inside the bigger plastic bottles to store everything so that when we actually get to somewhere else, you know, and that's the problem. We're, we're taking our rubbish from one part of the world to another part of the world. And a lot of the times those countries don't have the facilities to recycle. But then you're sailing across the ocean. And I think we were uh, in the Pacific and there was an oil, uh, uh, oil canister that had just been either thrown overboard or it come from a boat that has been destroyed. And, you know, and you, you're seeing all of this plastic floating by. And one of the reasons why I stopped eating fish, even though I love it, I mean, biting into a lobster tail or, oh my goodness, you know, like that. Mm, anyway, <laughs> different conversation about food another time. But when you are lion fishing and you, you, you just catch the fish to eat um, one person or like a family at a time, and you cut open that fish and you see all of this plastic inside of the fish, you're like, ah. and they, all these oil leaks that we're seeing. I mean, the one that was just done in the Gulf of Mexico, purposefully, um, a lot of these oil leaks that we're seeing are being done purposely for residue oil and to get rid of resid like old oil that's really quite toxic and 
and we had this fireball underneath the ocean and it was burning all of these I I was just heartbroken and people like oh my god did you know And, and it was only ocean activists that are really underground that knew anything about it uh and just to um another thing that really has frustrated me as I'm sailing is these wind turbines and I remember sailing across the North Sea once and I was like can you feel that and I was like what feel what I'm like it's like a vibration it's like a buzzing and I could feel it and like but I was like where is it coming from like thinking there's something on the boat you know because it was a real strong vibration and then everyone's like oh you know you've been you're tripping or something and I'm like no 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 seriously and then I go down to sleep uh, I get up in the morning and then one of the other guys who's been on night watch, he's like, I, I can feel what Dawn was talking about. And when I, we've like crossed each other to swap night watch and, and I'm on the dog watch, so I'm getting up at four. Um, I'm like, did you? And he goes, I felt what you were saying. And I was like, see, I told you. And then we're getting a bit close. And by the end of the day, we start to see these wind turbines. So bearing in mind, like nearly 12 hours has passed. So we're like quite a distance away from these turbine farms. And if I could feel it, what is that doing to these animals, the, this marine life and the corals underneath the ocean? I, I just like, oh, we could, we could probably have a whole new, another show, but I just had to share that with you because I'm, I totally love what you're doing. It's, it's, but, it's a sad thing. You know, I've been taking groups to swim with wild dolphins for the last 27 years and, and I've swam with the whales and, and I've watched the ocean dying over the years and see a dramatic difference. And, and where I go in the Bahamas is a small, small little island. And Richard Branson just decided he was going to start bringing his cruise ships to this little island. And I, in the last two years, have just seen the destruction of there's, there's no more coral. I mean, it, it's so I hate sad what's happening. Mm. And and I think, you know, I really want to speak to something, you know, that you're, you're saying is that why aren't people doing more? And I think the answer to that is most people are reactive, not proactive. And I think what's being asked of us now is to become proactive. And, mm. and the biggest thing that we can do is divest of fossil fuels. That's the number one issue facing us. And the plastic industry, we all have microplastic in our bodies now. Every single person on the entire planet has microplastics as a result of plastic. Especially now, we're breathing it in it through the masks. (laughs) That's the next, that's the next foray for the oil and gas industry. They see that their time is coming to an end. So they're pushing big time because they receive $2.7 trillion in subsidies every single year from the government. They are desperate to hold on to those those subsidies. So they're they're making a major push into plastic. So the number one thing that people can do is divest of fossil fuels and divest of single use plastic. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if you don't do anything else, do that for your future generations, Mm -hmm. because that's what we need to do in order to turn this crisis around and organic, of course, you know, and 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 more plant-based diet, all the things that we know, recycle, reduce, reuse, but those are all things that people can do to become proactive instead Mm. of waiting for the tornado to wipe out homes, which happened to me a week and a half ago, two miles from my home was Mm. devastation 
or the fires that burned down my neighborhood <laughs> four years ago, or the flooding that's happening, or all of the things that we're seeing in the world right now, if we want to turn that around, we all have to participate. We all have to become proactive. Absolutely. Absolutely, we do. Yeah. So I just think that that is such a really great place for us to, to wrap up. Uh, I mean, you and I, I know we could go on and on and on and on. And, and, on. Will. <laughs> and we will. <laughs> and I would love to have you back at another stage to talk and update us with your projects. And, you know, um, and obviously those of you who are listening that want to get involved with some of the projects that Alison was talking about, or want to work with Alison um, on um, anchoring the frequency of love in your body and being anointed or actually being taught by Alison how to do these amazing transformational techniques and all of the, uh, her contact details, website addresses uh, will be available in the show notes. So Alison, thank you so much for joining me today. I've absolutely loved spending time with you. Thank um, you, my as love. Always. It's been, it's been yeah. a pleasure for me too. Thank absolutely. You. Yeah. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening and tuning in. Remember that if you've enjoyed this show, then to like, rate or whatever you need to do on your own platform. I know they're all so different. You know, some people want to give like stars, they give thumbs up. But for, if those, um, if there's anybody that you know that needs to hear this, then please do share it and remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. That is me, Dawn Bates, and a quiet dog in the corner and some builders upstairs. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. And uh, in the words of Mortiba, enjoy the ride. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Truth Serum Podcast. You can follow Dawn directly through her Instagram account, instagram.com forward slash real Dawn Bates. This is an invitation only podcast. That said, if you would like to speak with us or come on the show, please send an email through hello at dawnbates.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Remember to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Sharing is caring, so share away. Until next time, folks, grab a good book, see a sunset, and expand your knowledge and experience.